Today on the Matt Wall Show, the left and BLM continue to be outraged over a cop who saved a black woman from being stabbed to death. They say the cop had no right to shoot someone just because they were trying to stab another person. This is yet another example of the left's total rejection of personal responsibility. So today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about personal responsibility as it relates to these police shootings. Also, five headlines, including the White House releasing one of the most repugnant and irresponsible public statements we've ever heard from a White House. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. Speaking of repugnant and irresponsible, LeBron James doxes the cop in the Micaiah Bryant shooting. Also, a female athlete sues after she was benched and forced off her soccer team when she refused to take a knee in solidarity with BLM uh, and our daily cancellation and so much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, as the outrage of protests over the shooting of Micaiah Bryan in Columbus, Ohio, reaches its third day now, we've come to a point that few were probably expecting. Many on the left, including quite prominent people on the left, which we'll talk about later on, have decided that although we, we still should not have the right to bear arms, we should and do have the right to stab each other with large kitchen knives. Or at least some of us have that right. It's now clear, of course, and was clear from the moment the body cam footage was released, that Micaiah Bryant, though she was only 16 years old, um, sadly brought her death on herself by attempting to stab another person and doing it right in front of a police officer. Um, that's one of the best ways to get yourself shot by a cop is to try to kill someone in front of a cop. Um, and that cop had arrived on, arrived on the scene because of reports that somebody was trying to stab people. The shooting was not, it's not only justified, but it's a, it's a textbook justified shooting. This should literally be in textbooks at the police academy to show what a justified shooting looks like. Yet, as we've discussed, the left at, really asks only two things. Uh, they, there's only two things they care about. When, when any, anytime somebody dies, what they want to know is, was it a cop who killed that person? And was the person black? If the answer is yes on both counts, then by hook or crook or butcher knife, they'll find a way to condemn the officer as not only a murderer, but a racist murderer. And this time, it has led them to claiming that knife fights, quote-unquote, are just a, a normal part of growing up. This is a, a normal thing, a, a bit of childish mischief. You know, your mom would yell out to you when you're out in the backyard, hey, you guys aren't having another knife fight, are you? Knock off with those hijinks. That's, no, 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 we don't do any knife fights. Who among us has not tried to stab someone else in the gut with a large blade, they ask. Let he who has never attempted to stab someone cast the first stone. And then they're surprised when millions of stones rain down on them because most of us have never tried to do that. So two examples of this um, talking point should suffice, I think. And there was a lot of this yesterday, but let's just go with two examples. Valerie Jarrett, uh, an Obama lackey, tweeted this yesterday. She said, a black teenage girl named Micaiah Bryant was killed because a police officer immediately decided to shoot her multiple times in order to break up a knife fight, demand accountability, fight for justice, hashtag Black Lives Matter. Activist Bree Newsom had this to say. She said, teenagers have been fighting, have been, um, have been having fights, including fights involving knives for, yeah, wait, let me back up. Teenagers have been having fights, including fights involving knives for eons. We do not need police to address these situations by showing up to the scene and using a weapon against one of these teenagers. Okay, the first problem here, <clears throat> the first problem here is that it's completely bonkers. Uh, the second is that this was not a knife fight. 
I don't mean to get all technical, but this was a person with a knife trying to stab somebody who didn't have a knife. So that's not a knife fight. That's what we generally in the business will call attempted murder, right? Um, the third problem is that knife fights are not normal teenage activities. Unless you're living in, in the West Side Story, this is not a normal part of growing up. Now, I could say I, I grew up in a school system where fights were unfortunately common, but I never saw anyone get stabbed. I've never even seen someone wield a knife in anger in my entire life. Um, the, you know, the only I, I, I cut myself once accidentally while trying to whittle an arrow with a with a out of a tree branch. Long story, don't ask. That's all of the knife-related carnage that I personally have ever witnessed. Maybe I've lived a sheltered life. I don't know. Maybe kids are out there dueling it out with sharpened blades on a regular basis. You know, I played kickball as a kid, dodgeball, tag, pickup basketball. It never occurred to me to, to, to uh, add a stabbing element to any of these games. But again, maybe that's just me. And if leftists grew up in an environment where kids were constantly stabbing each other, I find that hard to believe, but it would also explain a lot. But this is the, the absurdity the left reduces itself to. And the reason, aside from the racial narrative, uh, which they're trying to establish, and the anti-police, anti-law and order narrative, all of which we've talked about many times and we will continue to talk about. But underneath all of that is a rejection of uh, personal responsibility. It's funny because they say accountability. Valerie Jarrett said, we need accountability. No, that's exactly what you don't want. Because what they're really saying is that it's not Micaiah Bryant's fault that she was trying to stab someone. It wasn't Dante Wright's fault that he was committing armed that he committed armed robbery and then was there was a warrant for his arrest and then he resisted arrest and got shot in the process. It wasn't Jacob Blake's fault. It wasn't George Floyd's fault. It's on and on and on. It's none of their faults. The fault cannot rest with any of those individuals or anyone close to them. It must be deflected out, projected, pinned on the system, the police, white supremacy, America. That's where all of the, uh, the the blame and the fault and the responsibility, it sort of disperses out like that. This is a really insidious and harmful thing, not just to the people being unjustly faulted for the actions of others, but for the people who aren't being faulted. It's, it's damaging there too. For people who are being deprived of agency. Now you could point out that Micaiah Bryant was a kid in foster care. She was 16. Uh, she had a rough life, presumably, you know. She, she didn't have guidance in the home. She didn't have moral formation. She didn't have any of these things that a child needs. Her mother was in front of TV cameras minutes after she was killed. I mean, right away, the mom was out in front of TV cameras uh, talking about what, a, what an angel her daughter was. But her mother, mother apparently wasn't raising her. She wasn't in the home with her own daughter. None of this takes all of the fault away from the person wielding the knife, no matter how old or young they happen to be. But it does put it in a certain context. And it does mean that you can't put all of the blame on the kid, right? But then who does get the blame? The cop? The guy who showed up to stop someone from getting stabbed to death? No, responsibility for an individual's actions has to rest with the individual and those closest to them, those exerting the greatest influence over those act their actions, those who are directly responsible for them. So for a child, that means the parents, 
the family. Beyond that, there's, there's even some blame, a lot of times that you could put some of the blame on the community. I mean, in this case, what was the community around Micaiah Bryant doing? There were, it looked like there were community members there before the cops came. Did they try to intervene? Even just verbally? Did they step up to preserve the lives of these kids? If you watch the, um, the uh, body cam footage, there's what looks to be an adult male there. I don't know who he is or how he's related to this. Um, and it also looks like he's in the process of trying to stomp on another girl who had just, who had just been pushed over. That's what it appears. I mean, it doesn't seem like this guy, whoever he is, uh, it doesn't seem like he's trying to defuse the situation at all. Maybe we'll put some responsibility with him. In the case of Adam Toledo, the 13-year-old shot by police after going off with his gang friends to shoot, shoot at passing cars at 3 a.m., we know that his dad didn't live with him. His mom didn't even report that he was missing when he had left the house two days before and didn't come home. Um... And uh, the, the older guys in the community, he was, he was hanging out with a 21-year-old guy, this 13-year-old, who he was shooting guns with. So you know, that guy and the other people in his gang, rather than being good role models, that's what they're doing with him. They are inducting him into this kind of lifestyle. So there's a lot of responsibility there. See, all of it falls on localized groups of individuals, and none of them are wearing badges. Speaking of, a commu- of community, there was a, a mass shooting, which you probably didn't hear about, at a child's birthday party in Louisiana a few days ago. Um, six kids were shot, including a 12-year-old boy. Dozens and dozens of people were there. Cops think that you know two groups of, of guys were feuding, and that's where the, the shooting started. Um, but nobody will talk to, talk to the cops. You know, the, no one in... Um, at the party, no one, no one around is talking to the cops. No one will step up for the sake of these injured kids and make sure that justice is done. The criminals are protected, covered for. The lives of the children are not prioritized. Justice is not prioritized. You know, that becomes a priority only when a cop is pulling the trigger. Personal responsibility is rejected, denied. Individuals not wanting to be responsible for their own behavior, parents not wanting to be responsible for their children, communities not wanting to be responsible for themselves. That's the theme here. And it's a problem that can be found culture-wide, country-wide. You know, the left has sowed the seeds for this. The left has worked for decades to instill in people's minds that they're not responsible for their own actions, that their destiny is not under their own control, that all bad things that happen to them are somebody else's fault. That they are a victim. And only in embracing that victim mentality can they find freedom and power. That's what the left tells everybody. And millions of Americans have taken that to heart. That's the message that's been destroying our civilization. You can't have a functioning civilization of people who won't be accountable for their own actions, for their own choices, for their own behavior. It can't work. It's not working. Um, Look, personal responsibility... It's not just a buzzword. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's an empowering thing. Um, it's, it's not just what leads to success in life, though it does. You can't really have success until, you're, until you take ownership of your own failures and faults. But more than that, it leads to fulfillment and meaning and purpose and happiness. 
there's no meaning in a life that you are not responsible for. If you're just a passive participant, a spectator of your own existence, then there's no point to it. There's no joy to be found in it. There's no meaning to be discovered. There's only nihilism and despair. And we have a whole lot of that in our culture, in our cities, everywhere. That's how it's going to be until people, all people, embrace the sort of frightening but profound truth that you are a human being, you have agency, you decide what you will do, it's your decision, you have control over your own life. So take control. That has to be the message. Now let's get to our five headlines. The show today is brought to you by MyPillow. We've told you all about the MyPillow pillows, which are the most comfortable pillows on the market. And if you don't believe me, go get one and try it for yourself. Uh, I dare you, I dare you to uh, to not have a good night's rest with a with a MyPillow. But if you know they you know they make great pillows, well, now they're getting into the slipper game. And you know the slippers are gonna be extremely comfortable. I've experienced them for myself. Uh, you've all heard me talk about the MyPillow. Well, now they've done it again with my slippers. The slippers took over two years to develop and are designed to wear indoors and outdoors all day long. The my slippers are made with pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, and they're made with high-quality leather suede. Uh, I can tell you firsthand that these are the, the, the most comfortable slippers you're ever gonna try. I am a, I, I, maybe this will surprise you, maybe it won't. I am a slipper connoisseur, and I've tried many pairs of slippers, none better than the My Slippers. For a limited time, MyPillow is offering 40% off their new My Slippers. That's right, 40% off. I now have the sheets, the pillows, the slippers for my pillows. For my pillow, I like all their products. You know, I'm getting everything they put out. I make sure that I get, I get it. So you got to go to mypillow.com and uh, click on the radio listener square and use promo code DailyWire. You'll also get deep discounts on all my pillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the my pillow mattress topper, and my pillow towel sets. Or call 800-951-7163 and use promo code DailyWire. Visit mypillow.com now, or call 800-951-7163. Well, I am in uh, Austin today, by the way. I'll be speaking at UT Austin, um, giving my my talk, uh, Delusions of Gender, How the Left Turns Boys into Girls. Again, you know, I, I expect in Austin for my, my, own, my, my presence and the subject of the talk to receive a very warm welcome. We'll see. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. You know, flying, I, I, I just can't. The, the only problem, I'm, I'm excited to be to be out and, and speaking again in front of actual crowds of, of living people. And I'm hoping to do more of that, you know, after the whole speaking circuit was shut down for over a year, basically. But flying has always been a challenge for me. Now, even more so when you have to wear a mask the whole time. And also, it's become, I don't know, I, I can't explain why it bothers me so much, but it just does. When I'm sitting, this happened to me yesterday. Flying out to Austin, pretty short flight, but, um, you know, I'm sitting on the aisle seat and it's this, this is the other thing that always happens to me. Um, there's no one sitting in the middle and I'm thinking, thank God, you know, we lucked out. We're one of the only, all, every other middle seat is filled. We get the empty middle seat. This is going to be great. I got elbow room. And then the last guy to get on the plane, there's one last straggler who gets on because they didn't lock the door in time. And then he takes that seat. But anyway, he sits down there, and um, first he's got a Starbucks drink, 
um, one of those frozen drinks with a straw. So that's strike number one. Just drink a regular coffee like a man. But he's he's got his, he flips the mask up. He doesn't take the mask off. He just flips it up and inserts the straw under the flipped up mask and is slurping through the straw. And then they come through and they're handing out snacks, like little bags of pretzels. So he opens the bag, bag of pretzel, doesn't take the mask off, just flips it up, puts in a, a, a pretzel, puts the mask down, chews, takes another pretzel, flips the mask up again, inserts. And I'm catching this out of my peripheral, and it is driving me insane. I, I, I don't know exactly why it annoys me so much. But I just wanted to say to the guy, like, dude, take the mask off and enjoy your, your, uh, your girly drink. Take the mask off and have the pretzel, okay? What is this accomplishing? You think you get partial cover from COVID if you at least have it flipped up and it's still attached to your face somehow? My God. Um, all right. Number one, Jen Psaki yesterday addressed the Micaiah Bryant shooting and her response, the official White House response, this is not off the cuff. This was prepared in advance. You'll notice that she's reading this like she does with almost all of her answers. Uh, it's one of the most repugnant things I've ever heard. I, it, it really is, at least from a White House. So let's uh, let's watch that. First, has the president been briefed on 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant being shot and killed by police in Columbus, Ohio yesterday? It happened moments before the show of the verdict came out. Yes. Um, I said to you, yes, and let me let me just say, since you gave me the opportunity, uh, the killing of 16-year-old Michaela Bryant by the Columbus police is tragic. She was a child. We're thinking of her friends and family and the communities that are hurting and grieving her loss. We know that police violence disproportionately impacts uh, black and Latino people and communities and that black women and girls, like black men and boys, experience higher rates of police violence. We also know that there are particular vulnerabilities that children in foster care, care like Micaiah, face. And her death came, as you noted, just as America was hopeful of a step forward after the traumatic and exhausting trial of Derek Chauvin and the verdict that was reached. So our focus is on um, working to address systemic racism and implicit bias head on, and of course to passing laws and legislation that will put much needed reforms into place at police departments around the country. Has the president been briefed on it? Yes. My Lord. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised or anything like that, but systemic racism. You, he was saving a girl's life. And this is the president of the United States through an, a, a written statement from his spokeswoman. Throw, not Throwing under the bus is not a strong enough term here. You know, he, he is just, he is feeding this guy to the mob. And they know better. These people, some of the activists out there on the street, okay, many of them are absolute morons, really, really stupid, and they're also indoctrinated and brainwashed. And that's the case for, again, personal responsibility. I'm not taking responsibility away from them, um, especially if you're, you know, running out of a footlocker with a bunch of stolen shoes. The responsibility falls on you. But Many of them are really brainwashed, and, and, and they, they, they really do believe, because they've been told by people like Jen Psaki and Joe Biden, that uh, cops are out there hunting and killing black men and so on. Um, but Jen Psaki and Joe Biden and everyone else in the White House, they, they know. They, they watch that video. They know exactly what happened there. They absolutely know that it's a justified shooting. But they say, who cares? I don't, this cop, he saved someone's life. I don't care. 
now his life is over. It doesn't matter to me. It means nothing to me. He's not a human to me. Never mind the fact that what why is why is the president being briefed on does the does the president of the United States get briefed every time there's a police shooting? Does he does he does he get a, a, a an individual brief for every police shooting? Does he? Is that is that part of being uh, the president? Is that a normal function of the office? I didn't think it was. But if he was briefed, then uh, yeah, he knows about the knife and he knows all of that. He knows the cop was called to the scene because someone was trying to stab people. He gets there. He sees someone with a large knife trying to stab people. Oh no, I better stop her. These dirtbags are, they want to destroy civilization. That's what they want to do. They want to, they, we always hear from the left, burn it to the ground, burn it all to the ground. And we know they mean that in a very literal sense when they're burning a CVS to the ground. But they also do, as they will gladly tell you, they want to burn our civilization and our culture and country to the ground and rebuild it into this dystopian, grotesque monstrosity. And that's, um, the White House is fully on board with that. All right, the sports world is chiming in about all of this. And of course, we always want to know what uh, people in, uh, you know, who, who, what they do for a living is they talk about other, they talk about people playing games and they analyze how those other people played those games. But um, we really want to hear them chime in on some of these deeper social issues. So Stephen A. Smith took exception with uh, some of the things that Tucker Carlson said about the Chauvin verdict. And let's listen to that. You just wonder sometimes if this is the kind of things that leads to the divisiveness that we're talking about. Because the video is there for all of us to see. I mean, you saw folks on both sides of the aisle talking about this police officer and how egregious his actions were. Matter of fact, I think I heard Tucker Carlson saying that one time. This was egregious, et cetera, et cetera. Yet last night, he's talking about how people, there's people on the jury that probably found him guilty because you know, they were afraid. I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but I saw it and I read it to make sure that I, had, I, I, I saw what I read and I read what I saw. And you just wonder sometimes, these are the kind of things that make people shake and make people shiver yeah. because you realize that in the face of such obvious, flagrant evidence, conspicuous evidence, there's still going to be somebody that opens the subject to debate when there are certain things that are simply not debatable. We saw what Derek Chauvin did. Saw it. The world saw it. There were protests all over the world because of what happened to George Floyd. And yet he goes on national television last night. Yeah. And says that. That's a problem. I'm not going to disrespect okay. him. I'm just saying that's a damn problem. It's not debatable. Yeah. Uh, a, real, a scholar here, a philosopher and a scholar. These are the kinds of things that make people shake and make people shiver. What? What? Why are people shivering because of what Tucker Carlson said about the Derek Chauvin case? I'm not sure I follow that exactly. But his his main point, to 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 the extent that it could be deciphered, his main point is that um, he he believes a certain thing about the Derek Chauvin case. And everyone he knows believes that thing. And the media is saying a certain thing. 
And there are people all over the world who, who, who believe that thing, which is that Derek Chauvin is a murderer and deserves to go to prison, which is what's going to happen now, um, unless he is successful on appeal. But he, he believes that, and, and everyone he knows, and all these people believe that. And so where do you come off disagreeing? Tucker Carlson, how could you disagree with what, how could you disagree with what I think and what, what everyone I know thinks? Everybody here at ESPN. We're ESPN, for God's sake. How could you disagree with us? Then the girl comes on at the end and says, yeah, it's not debatable. Just not debatable. Well, it is, in fact, debatable. You know, it, it, it turns out. There's, it can be debated. It has been debated. There is a, 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 another opinion a person can have. It's divisive, though. It's divisive to have a differing opinion. I guess it is, yeah. I mean, that's the, kind of the definition of something being divided, divisive, when there are different opinions. I, I'm sorry, Stephen A. Smith, if it makes you shake and shiver. I'm sorry if it makes you shake and shiver when, when someone has a, a differing viewpoint. When someone has a differing viewpoint, it makes me shake. It makes me shiver. I get cold. It's confusing. Mommy, I'm cold. This person has a different opinion. My Lord. Okay. Um, still in the sports world, though. It gets worse. Meanwhile, this is from uh, Daily Wire. LeBron James has found a way to sink to a new low. Daily Wire reports NBA star LeBron James posted a photograph on social media on Wednesday of the police officer who allegedly shot and killed a 16-year-old girl in Columbus, Ohio, writing, you're next, hashtag accountability. Um, and then, let's see, the, the, the National Fraternal Order of Police responded to James's tweet by writing, uh, King James, with his vast resources influence, should educate himself and frankly has a responsibility to do so on the facts before weighing in. This is disgraceful and extremely reckless. The officer saved a young girl's life. No amount of gaslighting will change that. Now, LeBron did go and um, I think he deleted the tweet. Didn't really apologize for it. He deleted that one and then later tweeted again, defending it and saying, well, I, I get so upset about uh, black, black people getting killed by the cops. And that's what this is all about. We need, we need to count at hashtag accountability. That's what he keeps saying. Um, and yes, that's what I open the show with. I, I agree. Accountability. Be accountable for your children. How about that? You got a 16-year-old girl out trying to stab someone to death. And yes, we can say stab someone to death. We can say that. She was trying to kill someone. Knives kill people. Hundreds of people a year, in fact, in this country. Killed by knives. Believe it or not, it's a, it's a really common thing. And that knife, the size of that knife, that was one that it, it, it's, you, you place it in the, in the right place um, on someone's body, you, you kill them on the spot, yeah. So if your daughter's out doing that, accountability, parental accountability. Literally be accountable for your children. Know what they're doing. Be there for them. How about that? But but LeBron, again, um, th this is... You know, LeBron's a very stupid person. And, and we have to remember that. 
Um, but he also still knows better. He, he, he definitely knows better. And he's in a position where this, I mean, this is LeBron James. This is the most famous athlete in the world. A massive, massive platform. And he takes this cop who saved a, a girl's life, a woman's life, um, and puts his, puts his picture out there and says, you're next. He should be brought, that, that's, that should be criminal. He should be brought up on criminal charges for that. You're trying to get the guy killed. What, what do you mean you're next? What are you even referring to? Because the cop didn't commit a crime, so you can't say you're next in terms of criminal prosecution. You didn't commit a crime. What he did was perfectly legal and justified and good. It's good that he did it. It is good when cops stop people from stabbing other people. That's a good thing. So what do you mean by you're next? That seems an awful lot like you're trying to send a violent mob. You, from your massive platform, while you're tweeting from your multi-million dollar mansion, seems an awful lot like you're trying to send a violent mob after this guy. All right, number three, uh, Ibram X. Kendi is uh, pretty upset with Chauvin's guilty verdict because it undercuts his talking points and deprives him of the chance to defend rioting and looting. Um, but he's not letting that stop him. So here's what, uh, interviewed by CBS, here's what he had to say. So now what? Chauvin is headed to jail, but is America headed to justice? Is justice convicting a police officer or is justice convicting America? When tens of millions of Americans after Floyd's murder last year took to the streets of nearly every American town, we were convicting America. Since 2013, more than 1,000 people have died at the hands of police, many of them mentally ill, many of them during traffic stops, like Dante Wright. Since the Chauvin trial began on March 29th, more than three people per day have been killed by law enforcement, many of them black and Latino and young, like Adam Toledo. It is easy to just blame individual officers like Derek Chauvin, but the problem is structural. The problem is historic. The problem is every single American who sees George Floyd and Breonna Taylor as dangerous, rather than the policies that led to health disparities, under-resourced schools, disproportionate black poverty and unemployment, and few resources for all of us suffering from drug abuse, from mental illnesses, from despair. Okay, shut up, Ibram. Uh, this guy is such a hack. And, and, and of course, he's now in a position. Who cares what the, why? The fact that we have to care what this guy says. Well, uh, why, why would we see George Floyd as dangerous? Well, I don't know. When he's forcing his way into your home at gunpoint and robbing you, as he did to uh, his, his female victim, I, I, I think that's at least one person who can see him as dangerous. What do you say, Ibram? These statistics that they trot out, three people per day killed by the cops, it is so dishonest. Calling it misleading doesn't even cut it. It's so dishonest because he knows. In almost all of those cases, these are straightforward um, examples of the cops shooting to simply defend themselves from someone trying to kill them. Almost every cop shooting is that. That's why you don't hear about most of them. 
Because you have to wonder, well, so it's three a day, according to him. And we hear about a lot of them. Still, very, very select. It's obviously selective because, as we've talked about, cop, cop kills a white person. We're never going to hear about that. But still, there, there are a lot that um, even BLM doesn't say anything about. A lot of cases of of a, a black person being shot by cops that we don't hear BLM say anything about. Well, because in the vast majority of cases, there's there's it is someone just shooting at the cops and getting shot back. Things like that. Now, of course, we wouldn't put it past BLM to to make a martyr even out of someone in that situation. And as we've seen here, they made it martyr out of a, a person trying to stab someone to death. So. You know, it, I wouldn't put it past them, but it, it does tell you something. With all these police shootings, many of them we never hear about. That's because so many of them, even BLM at this point, can't figure out a way to make the cop the villain. They could only do it in broad strokes, just by, by looking at the statistics and saying, well, this number of people are shot by cops. But they're not going to give you any of the details about most of those shootings. Because if they did, you would you would say, oh, well, yeah, of course that person got shot by a cop. But Ibram uh, thinks uh, America is so terrible, of course, and, and uh, America should be convicted, and America deserves an apology, uh, deserves, rather, uh, should, should, should deliver an apology to black Americans, and, and uh, it's so hard to be a black person in America, so on and so forth. I guess my question is, um, America is so terrible to black Americans, allegedly. You know, if you're a black American, where would you rather live than America? No matter your race. If you think that America is a terrible place, um, structurally racist, uh, evil, colonialist, built on stolen land, genocide, all these terrible things. There's so many other places in the world you can live. And I know this is the point that's brought up all the time. If you don't like America, get out. But it's, it is a good question. It's a good point. If you feel that way about this country, no one is forcing you to stay here. Why? It's, a, it's a good question. Why haven't you gone somewhere else? Is it because there's nowhere else on earth you'd rather be than here? Maybe that should tell you something. Maybe that should give you a little bit of perspective. Just a thought. All right, number four, Kirsten Henning, a former Virginia Tech uh, University soccer player, has filed suit against her ex-coach for allegedly benching her because she wouldn't take a knee during a pregame reading of an Atlantic Coast Conference unity pledge. Henning filed the federal lawsuit against Charles Chugger Ader. I guess that's his uh, nickname, Chugger on March 3rd, claiming that because she refused to kneel, he benched her, subjected her to repeated verbal abuse, and forced her off the team. The lawsuit claims that Ader's actions violated Henning's First and Fourteenth Amendment rights. Uh, Henning, a junior at Virginia Tech, was a starter on defense during her freshman and sophomore years before leaving the team. The lawsuit says Ader supported proposals by the university to have its athletes wear Black Lives Matter masks, wristbands, and armbands, but Henning dissented. Quote, um... The lawsuit says, quote, while Henning supports social justice and believes that black lives matter, she does not support the BLM organization. She disagrees with its tactics and core tenets of its 
mission statement, including defunding the police and eliminating the nuclear family. And so she was uh, forced off the team for that. Now she's suing. Um, and good for her. I mean, good for her on all counts. And this is what we need in our culture. We need people who are these quiet, unheralded acts of heroism every day by, by everyday acts, little everyday acts of heroism by everyday people, as a politician would say. Um, that's, that's what we need. Someone, people who are, are willing to say, you know what, I'm not this, I'm, I'm not going to take a knee for this. I don't believe in this. Not going to do it. Like we, we, all, we all need to start doing that in our private lives, even when there's a possibility of repercussions. That's where courage comes in. If, we, you know, this, we, we are living in a moment in history right now that really calls for courage. Every moment calls for courage. This moment especially does. And if we're not going to have any courage at all, then there's, there's no hope. Because we know what's demanded of us. Like the, I think a lot of people, a lot of rational people, sane people, who aren't on board with all the craziness, um, what, what they hope is that, okay, I, I don't want to have to go along with this actively, so I'm hoping that they'll leave me alone and I can live my life and have my own point of view. And, uh, and that's it. And, they'll, and, they'll, and, you know, and they can do their thing. I'm not going to stop them, but they'll let me do my thing. That's, I think that's what most, a lot of people are hoping that's, that's what they can do. Kind of live their life. And uh, they don't have to actively involve themselves in this stuff that they disagree with. But they're not going to actively protest it either. But that's not going to work anymore. The left isn't going to allow that. They're not allowing that. It's not, no, you, you can't simply live your own life and have your own views and let them do that was that was 20 years ago right that 20 years ago it was uh let people you know leave us alone and let us be how we live how we live and have our value systems and, and all of that and and um that was 20 years ago tolerance that was back when we were talking about tolerance simply tolerate it allow it don't interfere we are way past that now your active approval, and um, not just approval, but participation, is mandatory. And that's where the choice comes in. The third option of you going over here and doing your own thing, that's gone. Now you have to decide, am I going to actively go along with this thing that I don't believe in? Um, or am I going to take a stand for what's right? I think that's, that's the, the choice we all have to make. All right. Um, it kind of, it reminds me of, I, th I know I brought up before uh, a great passage in Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago, I think in volume one, uh, where they're, they're talking about, there's a, uh, and this is all about the, the gulag system, the labor camp system in Soviet Russia. And he was talking about a, there was some sort of political meeting, rally. Um, and the great father, Stalin, was, was mentioned. And everyone had to stand up in the crowd and give a standing ovation to the great father. And uh, the standing ovation went on, you know, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. 
And I guess usually everybody will stand up, they'll give a standing ovation, and then they all kind of organically sit back down. But that didn't, didn't work that way this time, and it, it went on for longer than usual. And so now it's getting conspicuous, and the problem is someone in the crowd has to, has to be the first to, to sit down and stop applauding, stop participating. Someone has to do it, or they're going to be here all night applauding. And finally, one guy, after like 10 minutes, says, all right, that's enough of that, and sits down. And, uh, and later, he's, the secret police come in, and they take him out of his house, and they put him in a, send him to a labor camp for 10 years. And he's told by the interrogator, never be the first to stop applauding. And that's kind of what, what, what we're facing in our culture. Like, uh, we, we, ha- we have to stop applauding. Stop participating. Stop giving our approval to these things. Unfortunately, you know, whatever the consequence is, it's not going to be 10 years in a labor camp, at least not yet. Okay, from the New York Post, it says, before you buckle up, get yourself a good playlist and a strong cup of joe. A new experiment has found a link between listening to rap music and having strong coffee with better driving skills. UK-based behavioral science consultancy CX Lab and car insurance company U-Switch collaborated on the experiment in which they virtually measure 103 drivers' reaction times under various conditions. Um, So what were the conditions? Those factors were drinking a strong cup of coffee 20 minutes before taking the test, listening to an audio track of noisy children, and listening to rap, techno, heavy metal, and classical... um, heavy metal, classical, jazz, or R&B music. Researchers found that caffeine had the biggest impact, leading drivers to stop an average of 26 yards earlier than uncaffeinated drivers after spotting a hazard while traveling at 70 miles per hour. Music made the second most significant difference in reaction time improvement. Listening to rap music uh, made participants stop an average of 16 yards sooner than listening to no music. R&B, on the other hand, was found to worsen reaction time by about four yards. Listening to noisy children while driving made the least significant difference, improving reaction time by about 14 yards, though it's surprising that it improved reaction time at all. Okay, none of this is really surprising to me at all. I mean, first of all, R&B, classical, and jazz will put you to sleep, so of course it's going to slow reaction times. Techno and heavy metal will give you a headache, and again, that's not going to help with your reaction time. Rap music could put you to sleep or give you a headache, but it's actually more, it's more like the sound of the noisy kids, where it sort of sharpens your focus on the road, because you're trying so hard to ignore it. Like I, I've done some of my best driving with four screaming kids in the back seat because you have to mentally train yourself to concentrate your focus on the road. A lot of times the lazy driving comes in or the, the inattentive when you, you get lost in thought and you're thinking about this other thing. But when you've got kids screaming, you can't really do that. You can't think about anything else. And so all you're doing is focusing on the road. That's what I, it, it really does sharpen your senses. But this is what really got me. It says, uh, last, last sentence in the article says, women were found to generally have faster reaction times than men in driving. Now, that's fascinating because we know that women generally are, are terrible drivers. Um, no offense. So at first, I was surprised by that. So women have the, the faster reaction times. And then I realized that, no, that makes sense because women will react to things on the road before they even happen. Right, so they're 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 way ahead of the game. Like my wife, for example, if if we're if we're driving, and a big like a big rig truck comes in the other lane, it just just drives by us in the other lane. She'll panic because she immediately assumes that that truck's going to try to get over into our lane, and so she's reacting to that to that truck uh, merging into our lane even when it isn't. 
So maybe that's it. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how the science works here. That would be my my guess. All right, let's move to reading the YouTube comments. This is from uh, Alan Snackbar. Says, congratulations from South Africa. Your justice system now also officially joins the great tradition of the pitchfork mob influencing the justice system. This is not a, um, yeah, well, thank you for that, those well wishes, but to me, this is not much of a celebratory moment. Another comment says, I'm 12 weeks pregnant right now, and hearing the unborn referred to as medical waste is very upsetting, but that's our society, sadly. That is, to the abortion industry, that is literally what an unborn human is, medical waste. Uh, and after the abortion, after the murder is completed, then um, the, the child is, is tossed out you know, in a medical waste, you know, uh, dumpster. If, if they aren't first harvested for parts by Planned Parenthood. And it, it, is, it is, yeah, it, upsetting, very upsetting. And it's the reality, too. Um, another comment says, notice that Chauvin, talking about at the trial when Chauvin was found guilty and taken away, says, notice that Chauvin stood and calmly placed his hands behind his back. Where would we be if George Floyd had done the same? That is a very, it's a very good point. That's the kind of point I wish I had made. Um, yeah, very good point. Catherine says, I love how you say Vice President Biden and President Kamala Harris. That made me chuckle. It's sad but true. Well, yeah, it's, it's not even a matter of co-president, you know. Um, addressing the nation yesterday after the Chauvin verdict, Kamala Harris spoke first. <laughs> I mean, Joe Biden stood off the side and the vice president spoke first. To have her there at all for these kinds of things is bizarre. And other presidents didn't do this. I mean, Je Barack Obama, when he was giving an address to the nation, he didn't bring Joe Biden in to do or say anything. Not only is he bringing Kamala Harris in, but she gets to speak first. He takes a, he, he plays second fiddle to her. Um, and finally, Mighty Matzo says, Matt, just curious, but do you watch Ancient Aliens? Not a dig. It's my favorite show. Thanks and have a better day tomorrow, my friend. Uh, I love Ancient Aliens. That is a great show. Awesome show. It is, it's, you, you have to engage with it as science fiction, which it mostly is. I mean, you never know. I mean, it could be that aliens did all this and they built the pyramids and everything else. Um, but it's it's mostly to me really entertaining science fiction, and I, I enjoy it on that level. Any look, I think it's obvious. Any alien related thing, I'm into it. I love it. Okay, you know we all like to complain about. Well, we might not like complaining. I like complaining. Maybe you don't, but we all do complain about the uh, the fact that there there are very few. It seems like very few companies out there that support us as conservatives have our same values. Uh, and so anytime we're buying anything or anytime we're, we're in the role of a customer, it's like we're, we're, we're giving our money to people who hate us. And that is the case oftentimes. And that's why it's so important when you find a company that does support your values to support them. And that's what Charity Mobile is all about. One company that fits the description of, uh, you know, a company with morals and conservative values is Charity Mobile, the pro-life phone company. 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. Uh, and that's... You know, that's, that's the great charity part of it. Also, it's a great service. And uh, new activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activations and free shipping. There's no contract, there's no termination fees, there's no risk with a 30-day guarantee, so you might as well try 
Charity Mobile out. If you're skeptical for some reason, are they, you know, um, as good as, as Matt's saying, well, then get, give it a try. And you're going you're gonna to love the service. They've got live customer service based in the USA. Um, also, you can block the use of cellular data, picture messages, text messages on any and all of your accounts. You get free usage alerts. You get a free app to pay your bills, monitor your usage, all of that, all while you're helping to build that culture of life in America while supporting a pro-life phone company. Um, and it's, it is the win-win situation um, that we're all looking for as customers, right? So call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. And, you know, if you needed another reason to join the Daily Wire, I want to remind you, if you're not already a member, you're missing out on Candace, Daily Wire's new talk show hosted by Candace Owens. And this week's episode is a major truth bomb as Candace dives right into the Derek Chauvin trial verdict and gives her breakdown on George Floyd's death. Plus, you don't want to miss this week's special guest, Dana White, president of the UFC. The show streams on Fridays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, only on dailywire.com. You can get 25% off a new membership with code Candace. So make sure you go there now and get that new membership. Get the 25% off. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today is a product of pure frustration, uh, which could probably describe every daily cancellation. It could really describe every moment of every show. I'm going to be canceling two of the most inane, incoherent, irrelevant, misleading uh, talking points that always come up with any high-profile police shooting. Um, and I, you know, we've mentioned these in the past, but I think, I think it, it's time that we really focus on them, for a moment at least. These are, and they've especially reached fever pitches in response to the Micaiah Bryant incident. These are talking points that reveal a fundamental misunderstanding of the law, of the real world, you know, and they are these. Number one, why can't the cops just shoot the person in the leg? And there's been a lot of that. Number two, why did fill-in-the-blank black suspect get shot if Dylan Roof, the Charleston church shooter, was taken alive? Must be racism. Right? Those are the two. Well, you've seen these talking points a lot. Uh, hear them all the time. So let, let's take these one at a time, starting with number one. Why can't the cops shoot in the leg? Well, as it happens, the police chief in um, Columbus, Ohio, was asked this, this very question by a member of the media. And uh, he provided the answer, I think. Let's listen to what he has to say. Couldn't he have just shot her in the leg so she dropped? Couldn't he have shot her in the arm, something like that? Right, you know, one of the, uh, the difficult things with that is um, when you're trying, we, we don't train to shoot the leg because that's a small target. We train to shoot center mass. What is available to stop that threat? There was a threat going on, a deadly force threat that was going on. So the officer is trained to shoot center mass, the, the largest part, part of a body that is available to them. When you try to start shooting legs or arms, uh, rounds miss, and then they continue on, and there are people behind that that could be in danger that are not committing anything. Uh, so we try and minimize any danger to anyone else if we have to use our firearm. So I think he successfully answers that question, and it should be enough for anyone who was seriously confused about it. I think the answer you just heard there is good enough. But to emphasize his point, let me add that though I am not a law enforcement officer, I do realize one fundamental fact. We are not living in a John Wick movie. Okay, In the real world, John Wick doesn't exist. And the guy who plays him, Keanu Reeves, is a 56-year-old dude who probably can't do 12 push-ups and certainly can't single-handedly dispatch um, a whole room full of mob hitmen. 
Okay, that in the real world that doesn't happen. If we lived in a movie, then sure, you'd simply, if you're the cop, uh, you'd shoot the knife uh, or whatever weapon out of the perp's hand. Maybe deliver a couple a couple of karate chops or roundhouse kicks. Uh, the suspect is knocked unconscious just for long enough to put them in cuffs, and everyone gets out alive. You know, though, and 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 um, though maybe the the badass, tough as nails cop gets chewed out by the police captain, you know, for for showboating, as always. That's the way it goes in film. And the great thing about film is that everything is neat. And it follows a certain structure. And there's no random misery and death. There might, there might be misery and death, but it serves the purpose of the story. And everything usually works out okay in the end. That's the way it goes in movies. Again, that's not reality. Reality is messy. Cops live in messy all day. There's no script. You have to make quick decisions. And you make the decision that has the highest probability of bringing out the least, bringing about the least horrible outcome. You also can't guarantee that the bullet is always going to go where you want it to go. If you shoot for a hand, which is a small, fast-moving target, you'll probably miss and you'll hit whatever or whoever is on, on the other side of that hand. And in this case, um, you would have been hitting the very person you were trying to save. Uh, if you shoot for the leg, again, a smaller, fast-moving target, there's a good chance you'll miss. And then that means that the dangerous armed assailant will succeed in causing whatever harm they were trying to cause to whoever they were trying to cause it to. Also, even if you hit the person in the leg, again, because this isn't a movie, they aren't going to automatically go down. Right? They're not going to automatically fall to their knees and start shaking their fists and saying, ah, foiled again. You know, it, no. They'll probably still be moving, and there's, there's, there's no reason why, in this case in particular, she couldn't have finished the movement. I mean, she had her hand back like this with a knife in it. Um, even if you shot her in the leg, that's not going to stop her from doing this and stabbing somebody. She could stab multiple times after getting shot in the leg. Remember, in the real world, all you can do is choose the least horrible outcome. In this case, the most horrible outcome in the, the Bryant case is that the assailant stabs an unarmed girl to death right in front of you. That is the most horrible outcome from the perspective of a police officer. You want to avoid that. The least horrible is that you stop the assailant by the quickest and most high percentage method available. Shooting center mass right in the chest is, it's not so that you'll have the highest chance of killing them, it's so you'll have the highest chance of stopping them from doing what they're doing. Sadly, that often means killing them. That's not the point. The point is to stop them. Again, least horrible. Messy situation. I wish it didn't have to be that way, but it does. All you really have to do here to understand why it has to be this way is put yourself in the shoes of, of the girl who is about to get stabbed. Okay? And pause the tape right there and imagine this. You're pinned against a car. Someone has a butcher knife. They have their arm all the way back, winding up, you know, with ready to thrust that blade into your body. If it hits you in the heart, you're dead. If she gets you in the gut, you might be dead or you might live with internal organ damage or worse. If she gets you in the face, you could be dead, you could be blind, you could be horribly disfigured. Um, you see a police officer right behind her. He has his gun out. What do you want him to do in that situation? What do you want him to do right then and there? Do you want him to choose a, least, a less effective option to prevent you from being butchered in hopes of also preserving the life of the person trying to butcher you? 
Or do you want him to just stop her? Now, you, you probably, if you, if you notice this and you were, you were cognizant of it, you'd probably be shooting, shoot her, shoot her. You want, you want her to, she's about to stab you. You want, you want this to be, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to give your life so that for the sake of your assailant not being shot when they're trying to stab you. Um, well, you know, what, what, what would we, what would we all really want in that situation? If we could have anything, we would want John Wick to be there or, or Superman or, you know, Spider-Man who can shoot his webs and, uh, you know, put, put a, put an end to it. We'd want that. <clears throat> But we can't have that. And uh, so then what we're going to have is a cop in the real world. And that means least horrible outcome, they shoot. That's the first talking about. The second is this. Uh, what about Dylan Roof? He was taken alive. They bought him Burger King. How scandalous is that? Well, this one is really simple. It's not even complex and messy like the first one was. It's really easy. Dylan Roof did a horrific thing and was sentenced to death for it. He was taken alive because he surrendered peacefully. The only way to not take him alive would have been to execute him on the spot while he is clearly and unambiguously surrendering. Now, you might say the cops have done that before on rare occasion, like they did to Daniel Shaver. Um, yeah, and they have on rare occasion. That's bad. Okay, We don't want them to do that. In almost every case, they don't do that, and it's good that they don't do that. If, if Dylan Roof had drawn up on the cops... They would have shot him dead in a second, and nobody would care without without any hesitation. If if Dylan Roof had wrestled the cops and run away and like reached into his car, they would have, they would have shot him dead right then and there. Again, nobody would pr- protest or care. Um, but he didn't do any of that, and that's why he survived, so that he could be sentenced to death. Almost every black and white suspect who surrenders peacefully makes it out alive, and that's how. In, in the few exceptions where they surrender peacefully and are still killed, usually the cop is prosecuted. So there's no issue here. Um, why was Dylan Roof given Burger King? Well, because he we have to feed bad guys in custody. It's a law. Starve him, refuse him food and water, and that's a good way of making sure the bad guy walks free. The Beltway Snipers, two, two black people, serial killers who terrorized the Baltimore, uh, D.C. area for weeks, and I remember this well, were taken alive and, and, and given food while in custody. Why? Because they surrendered peacefully. They didn't give the cops a reason to shoot them. Give the cops a valid reason to shoot you, and they might. So don't do that. It's really not hard. It's not hard to refrain from attacking the cops or fighting them or trying to kill them or trying to kill other people in front of them. That's, that's not a hard thing. That's not a high bar to get over. It's not an unreasonable demand, is it? It's not an infringement. It's a very low bar. Don't fight the cops. Don't try to kill them. Don't try to kill anybody in front of the cops. Don't try to kill anybody any time, even if the cops aren't there. You know, that's the most ideal scenario. Um, and just follow those basic rules of life. And uh, you're not guaranteed success and happiness. But at the very least, you're probably not going to get shot by the cops. Very, very low bar. If you can't clear that very, very, very low bar, you might get shot. Such is life. And such is death. And that's the reality. Those who don't understand it or would deny it are, you guessed it, canceled.
That will do it for us today. If I see you in Austin then uh, tonight, then great. Otherwise, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, the media lie about systemic police racism. The White House, the media, and LeBron James target a police officer for shooting a black teenager who was trying to stab another black teenager. And the Biden administration cracks down on police departments. So everything is going great. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Thank you.